Stanford put the word out before the Ivy Leagues did. Sports are canceled. I mean, sort of. Sort of, kind of, maybe, right? We'll get into that. Larry Scott may be on the way out. He's getting the squeeze. We got an Axios graph that is so disgusting. Sports Pac-12 puts out a tweet about recruits and the Pac-12. And we have shamed a reviewer into deleting his review. Football in the spring for the Pac-12? Maybe so. Is the NCAA on the no plan plan? Just a suggestion plan. He's Ralph Amsden. I'm George Reister. And this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. This is the podcast for you. If you are a college football, college basketball fan, and you love the Pac-12, this is the place for you. Make sure that you share the podcast with a friend. Tell a friend about it and leave a five-star rating. Not a four-star rating. We'll get into that. Um, and if you want to get a hold of us, he's at Ralph Amsden on Twitter. I'm at George Reister. The podcast is at Pac-12 Apostles. Or you can send us an email. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. Or you can leave a voicemail in the Anchor app. That is also an option. Um, yeah, we thank you for your time. Now it's time to get to the show. Ralph, the Larry Scott has held Olympic sports so dear, so dear, so close to his heart. And mind you, I'm an Olympic sport lover. But at the same time, I realized that the money, the cash cow is football. And before the Ivy Leagues made their announcement saying that fall sports were going to be not postponed, but canceled before any sports before January were going to be canceled. So what that means is, is that they are going to reassess at some point in time what is going to happen. And Stanford actually got ahead of them by canceling 20 some odd sports. What do you make of that, Ralph Amstey? Well, Stanford, uh, it's it's good to talk to you, by the way, George. <laughs> I know uh, I missed you, bro. Yeah, <laughs> I'm out. I'm out here on the road. Uh, I am currently sitting in the third story of a cabin that overlooks Palisades Lake on the uh, the eastern border of Idaho, western border of Wyoming. And um, there's nobody around for miles in every direction. And I'm pretending like I'm just here for a regular vacation and not to be out of Arizona where them not taking everything seriously has resulted in uh, the apocalypse in my home state. So, um, <laughs> but it is, it is good to talk to you. Uh, this Stanford thing, you know, they, they said that they were facing a $70 million shortfall over the next three years. And so what they decided to do was to completely cut 11 of the 36 sports um, that are sponsored by the school there. And uh, that includes men's and women's fencing, field hockey, uh, men's rowing, women's sailing, squash, synchronized swimming, men's volleyball, and wrestling. All gone from uh, from Stanford's offering of uh, of sports at the school. And, and, you know, Larry Scott likes to talk about how the PAC 12 is the conference of champions. Well, I mean, 
it's the conference of champions because a lot of the championships are won and you know, some of these sports that are getting cut um, by, you know, what is considered to be the academic cornerstone uh, of the entire conference. And so, um, you know, according to Stanford's release, they say we now face the reality that significant changes needed to create fiscal stability for Stanford athletics and to provide the support we believe is essential for our student athletes to excel. So they're discontinuing 11 of their varsity sports programs at the conclusion of 2020-2021 and um, 20 support staff positions at Stanford are being completely eliminated. And uh, there's 240 student athletes and 22 dedicated coaches. And uh, they've got 4,000 alumni in just those sports. And so, you know, that tw- 20, 20 national championships, 27 Ol- Olympic medals, all from Stanford, from the sports that are being cut. That is <clears throat> major. And the, it's harder to it's easier to cut sports than it is to bring sports back. So while Stanford has no idea how long that this is going to last, the pandemic and the shortfalls and all of that, the the question is do they bring them back on the back end? Because you know, Stanford like the this is the Pac-12. They pride themselves on saying this is the conference of champions. But really, it's the Conference of Champions of Olympic Sports because we haven't had football or basketball in quite some time. I don't think we've had basketball in, what, like 20 years? And, yeah, it's been it's been a long, long time. So it's a matter of, you know, ah, dude. So I think that puts an even bigger impetus on fixing football and making sure that football is your frontline uh, issue. I'm um, well, is, is your frontline sport and that you are nurturing that. Hey, uh, so I've got a, a little bit of a controversial topic that, that is an offshoot of this. And, uh, we're, we're never afraid to get into the weeds on this show. Um, but when I was naming off some of the sports that got canceled, you know, in deep in the recesses in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, these are uh, these are a lot of the white sports, <laughs> right? Like, you're fencing, you're rowing, the more affluent, uh, p- the people who essentially have access to training from a young age, they're very niche sports. And, uh, and when I was reading through Stanford's explanation of why they actually chose these 11 sports to be cut, one of the reasons that they listed that they cut these particular sports and it's bullet points and I'm reading this word for word is the impact on the diversity of our student athlete population. I'm assuming what they mean is that this isn't going to cut into the diversity of the student athlete population at Stanford. Is that, is that kind of what you're getting from it? Yeah. The, the, Ralph, I don't think that it can be, <laughs> you know, understated that, yeah, this is a racial issue on on some level, because if you are Stanford, especially in the climate today, don't you, well, not actually, even, even if all the Black Lives Matter, everything wasn't going on right now, and you had to make a choice to cut sports, would, what are some of the factors that you would pay attention to besides, you know, 
uh, after if they're all sports that lose money? What are some of the factors that you would factor in? Well, I mean, I think a couple of the key ones that Stanford actually did factor into their decision would probably come into play for me. Um, how many other colleges have the sport? And, you know, Stanford points out that less than 22% of the 350 Division One institutions have, um, you know, men's and women's fencing, rowing, women's sailing, synchronized swimming, um, you know, all of those are at less than a fifth of those colleges and six of those sports, lightweight rowing, men's rowing, co-ed and women's sailing, squash and synchronized swimming are not even NCAA sponsored championship sports at all. So they're like club sports, essentially. Yeah. And then uh, there are only two other division one field hockey and fencing programs on the West coast. So they have to travel kind of like how Arizona state has to travel to do most of their hockey um, yeah. And most of which, the, you know, the hockey program is being basically privately funded uh, at Arizona State. And I don't think Stanford has, you know, that they don't have people coming in who have uh, the ability to privately sponsor to keep these sports in play. But the one one of the ones that they pointed out that I think is probably just the easiest one to go with is local and national fan interest in the sport. <laughs> they cut the 11 least popular. Right. And and they also said that national youth and postgraduate participation in the sport factored in as well. So if you don't have people going pro in these sports or going to the Olympics in these sports, um, they obviously have in the past. But if you don't have them right now at a rate worth keeping them around and you see that youth participation is going down in all of them, uh, then, I, you know, that's really what puts them on the chopping block. I just, I just don't want that one, <laughs> the one thing where it's obvious that they, they did outline that it's a factor that, Hey, like there's not a ton of diversity, uh, in participation in these sports. And so that made the decision easier. I just don't want that to become one of the, you know, um, uh, super, super conservative talking points out that I don't want to see this on uh, Tucker Carlson's show, uh, later this week of like, is Stanford, does Stanford hate white people? You know, there's obviously, <laughs> there's a bunch of factors, but when they, they threw that in there, it was like, oh, well, they're admitting it. Okay. Yeah. The, it was in, see, that's the way you put out a statement. It is honest. It is transparent. There can be no misunderstanding and it's a recognizing that, you know, what everybody is saying. So you don't think Stanford hates white people? No. No, no, no. I I think Stanford (laughs) made a calculated move. I think that they, you know, like, okay, out of, out of all, I mean, it was logical. It was exactly the way you expect Stanford to make a decision. All right. Okay. First thing is which sports make money? Boom. Which sports are, do we compete in, in the PAC 12? Boom. Which sports don't uh, like, don't we have are not NCAA? Their championships aren't sanctioned. Oh, oh, oh! There's a bunch right there. Okay, cool. That's where we'll that's where we'll start the list, and then we'll back back from from there. So yeah, so you know it's it, it's unfortunate that a lot of you know affluent kids are going to have you know to get into school a different route, you know, and that that they'll have some of their you know, their sports taken away, but hopefully they'll be able to add them back on the back end. Um, I do. I will. I will say that I, the one that does shock me on here is men's volleyball. 
because I, I know like that's a fast growing. I feel like that's a fast growing sport. Uh, I, I don't know about fast, fast growing, but it is fun to watch. I mean, these dudes are hyper athletic. They're super oh. tall. It, 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 they look like, you know, like nine Pau Gasols just <laughs> jumping all over the place. No, they're ab- they are absolutely quite entertaining to watch. Freak athletes. Remember uh, Chase Budinger, the yep. University of Arizona. I mean, he was like a monster uh, as a as a volleyball player. It it translates really well from basketball to uh, to volleyball, and, and and for some guys can just jump high, you know. And a lot of the other technical skill of basketball doesn't necessarily come around, and you get some of those athletes playing volleyball, and it's I mean it's wild to watch people flying around and. Um, and I, yeah, that, that, that's the one that surprised me, I think. But I will yeah. say, I think that the Ivy league canceling fall sports and Stanford cutting a bunch of sports. And I think, I think that we are delivering a blow to the, uh, pandemic is a hoax. That's all about the election crowd. And when I say we are delivering a blow, I mean, I like just by announcing, uh, these things that are actually happening in real life because this virus isn't political. It's not about taking sides. People are losing lives and institutions are losing sports and people are losing their jobs. And it it's, it's all because of the spread of a virus. And we've known how viruses spread forever, right? You, you practice good hygiene and distancing and reduce droplets by wearing a mask if you can. And so many people have refused to participate in that because they believe it's political in some way. And I just want to say, I'm keeping track of all these people. I I think you should remember everyone who has actively pushed back against taking this whole thing seriously when we lose fall sports across the whole country, uh, because I know I will. And I don't think those people should ever be listened to again. And I'm not talking about the people who didn't participate or waited too long to get serious about it. I'm talking about the people from the very beginning who have kind of pushed the idea that we've overreacted when the truth is our underreaction is what's costing us everything. No, Ralph, they won't. That's not what they're going to say. They are going to say it is our overreaction and that we have to put kids, uh, you know, there's 67,000 pediatricians that said kids need to be back in school. But that, that also d- doesn't read the details that they're like, yeah, they need to be back in school if it's safe, if you can have protocols, all of that stuff. Like they left off the details of what 67,000 pediatricians said. You know, this is such a political issue. And and at the end of the day, I think it comes down to what I was saying earlier, that this is about that, that at the end of the day, it's about risk and tolerance, that each school their tolerance for having a kid test positive or die it I'm well not 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 just test positive but get very sick because death isn't the only option there's very sick there are some potential uh long lasting effects and all of that so the long lasting effects very sick or potential death like the the risk tolerance for the school has to be like zero like it's like we can't have anybody die and we can't have anybody get severely sick. And but if you look at all of college football, all 73,000 and 13,000 Division One players, if you looked at the end of the year and you said, OK, three players died or two players died and 
seven got seven or ten got extremely sick. Would that be acceptable to you, Ralph? Not if it was preventable. I mean, I there's nothing that I can personally do from my couch to prevent somebody from lowering the crown of their helmet to the point where it does spinal damage to them that might cost them their ability to walk or potentially live, right? There's nothing I can do from my couch, not a single thing. But there are things that I can do to make sure that I am not complicit in the spread of a virus that doesn't need to be spread, that doesn't somehow work its way into a collegiate athletic program and adversely affect a student athlete or coaching uh, staff member or, or, or administrative or, or support staff member or their extended families. So I actually have a way to try to make sure I'm doing my part. There's already risk in football of uh, death or serious injury that already exists, but those aren't necessarily things that I can control. If you're that passionate about it, I guess you could refuse to consume football in general. If you think that uh, your consumption is actually complicitness in, you know, the injuries that are caused on a football field, you know, with COVID, it's it's something that reaches across sports into civilian life, into every area of everything. And so if I know that a school didn't do everything that it possibly could have to keep the student athletes safe, and one of them was to contract this virus and either have lifelong issues or pass away from it, then that one, that one athlete, that cost is too much. So, I mean, I think as long as everybody is doing their part and living sensibly and understanding what needs to be done, there's a, there's a possibility that we could have an incredibly uh, low risk sports season um, that probably doesn't involve fans at this time um, that we could probably have it, but I don't think that we're ready to be that selfless as a society, I don't think that we're ready to contribute to that. And the schools can do everything they can, but they can't control what the kids do when they leave or how the kids' families are acting or, you know, just people on the street and everything like that. And we have shown very recently, especially with, you know, people just getting sick of of people who never participated in trying to slow the spread in the first place or people who just got sick of it in California, Arizona and Texas you know, have caused a massive resurgence in the initial, the we're still in the initial wave of the pandemic. And because of that stuff that you've been saying for three months, George, that we were going to cost that, that kind of stuff was going to cost us football. And I think that's what we're on the precipice of is we're not even going to get to find out how many deaths is worth having football because we're not going to have football. I think it has a lot to do, like I said, with what's going on in Major League Baseball. So in Major League Baseball, you have had teams, like multiple teams. We're talking about the Angels had to delay their workouts on Monday because people who were scheduled to administer the second round of tests never arrived at the facility. The A's, Astros, Cardinals, Nationals, Cubs, and Giants all either canceled workouts. Some of them had to self-administer tests. They haven't gotten their results. So, like, so if this is Major League Baseball, 
which actually has protocols in place. How does that even work in college football when the NCAA has said, oh, well, we'll put in our own, well, we will make suggestions. We won't put across a, a standalone protocol for everybody. You make your own, you decide what you think is best. Uh, I think that's, I think the lack of leadership and lack of actual putting forth an actual plan is what, and the initial reaction to the pandemic is what is actually costing sports at this point in time. Yeah. um, Yeah. I, I don't, I'm less interested in finding out what the culprit is (laughs) and more and more and more interested in just like, can we fix it from here? And I, Mark Emmert has not been a loud voice on any of this. And and I've been trying to pay attention. Larry Scott. where's, Where's all that interest that you spent lobbying against players? Where's all of that? Yeah, I've, I honestly, I feel like I've heard more directly from the NCAA on a two year old basketball scandal in the last couple of months than I have strict direction (laughs) <laughs> on what we're supposed to be expecting. And then when you, when you knock that down to the conference level, um, I, I, I don't, I don't mean to like uh, alienate our listeners by saying this, but I don't particularly feel that Larry Scott has done a bad job when it comes to, um, I guess, sharing what he knows when he knows it. And it feels like he's really ratcheted up in the last couple of weeks, his rhetoric about the fact that our individual behaviors are potentially going to cost us fall sports. Um, and, and, and so I've appreciated that about him now, regardless of that, there's a million other problems uh, that continue to be extremely persistent with his leadership in the conference. But as far as just this specific thing, he hasn't come out and said anything that he didn't need to say he said that he keeps in communication with everybody and he's been open about the fact that the every day that goes by, the chance increases that we're not going to have a Pac-12 uh, slate of games in the fall. And I feel like the fact that he's even floating those things mean that we're closer to that than many people uh, oh, are yeah. probably willing to admit. See, um, they always prep you for it, though. They prep you yeah. for it. They put out little feelers that way you kind of started planting that seed. Oh, wow. This may not happen. They knew what the answer to this test was two weeks ago because they already said that it was going to take six weeks, that they would give teams six weeks to ramp up and work out and all that stuff to get back in shape. But you've already had teams stop their workouts because they had too many positives or didn't get results or whatever. So, they stopped workouts. So where's your six weeks? Because the college football season is supposed to start, what, August 25th, August 26th? And what's interesting is I've actually seen a few football players that that have publicly uh, questioned what the plan is um, for, for them, you know, whether or not they feel comfortable being on um, – on campus in general, Malik Hausman, who is, uh, I believe he, I think he's a defensive back, uh, at university of Arizona out of, uh, the state of California. 
he started tweeting a little while back, like, hey, why are we even here? He said, um, in response to a tweet that said the University of Arizona's president said today the campus wouldn't reopen under current COVID-19 conditions with cases and hospitalizations on the rise. Quote, we're truly an exponential growth in the number of cases here, he said. That's University of Arizona's president. And Malik Hausman quoted this, quote tweeted it back on June 30th. And he said, so why are me and my team on campus then? And then he retweeted somebody replying because money relative to football is more important than health. So, and, and, and then another uh, football player from university of Arizona outside linebacker, Kylan Wilborn said college athletes need to speak up now more than ever. If you feel you're being put at unnecessary risk by your institution, it's your job to speak up on it. It's your health. Isaiah Johnson, another University of Arizona linebacker, said the NCAA and universities want us to play during a global pandemic so they won't lose millions of dollars, but can't slash won't give us money. I'm not asking for 50K, but you can't break us off three bands. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, that's a fact. So it's just interesting. I'm watching all these University of Arizona players speak up about the fact that, like, if, if the universities honestly believe that students shouldn't be on campus, then are they not owed an explanation for why they are on campus? And I, I mean, I feel like there's a legitimate answer to that in the same way that they're talking about bringing school back, uh, having maybe high schoolers do online and actually using the high school to help house some junior high and elementary school kids so you can socially distance across multiple school buildings. Like the idea that student athletes are on campus and other athletes aren't, I actually feel like adds a layer of protection to those student athletes who are sort of being quarantined on campus. Now, should they have the ability to opt out of something like that and maybe preserve their eligibility given the crazy time and history that we're living in? Maybe. Uh, But I do think they deserve to at least have those questions answered by their individual schools. I personally feel like there is an answer and I feel like the student athletes are probably safer on campus um, than they would be just out and about doing their own thing, especially if other students aren't going to be on campus right now. Uh, But at the same time, it's interesting to see some of these players speaking out. Yeah. I, I would say that, I would say that it is very, very important that you have, Like, well, well, actually, let me let me go back for a second to your to your point about it making players safer. Yes, having players on campus without having students on campus can potentially make them safer because they're not around the the rest of the student body and all of that. <clears throat> but they are out in the community and all that. My 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 problem with it is, which is what the student athlete said that you just referenced. This whole thing has been perpetuated about student first. You are a student first. So if you are a student first, how in the hell can you say that it's not safe enough for the students to be on campus, but some kids who aren't being paid, we want you on campus to make money for everybody else. I just think that that is a, is a weird proposition, especially when you have some of these kids who are higher risk and some people who are high risk that don't know they're high risk yet. I mean, there's a lot of people that 
have uh, illnesses come on, diabetes, anything that they didn't know that they had. And then it pops up. I mean, it it's like, I know I sound like the doom and gloom guy, and that's not who I want to be. But it's just so hard to be positive right now when I have been yelling about this at the top of my lungs for months. And people just have refused to listen. Like, oh, everything will be be up fine in the fall when, when football comes. Yeah, right. Dude, I, I, I think I said that back in like April, Ralph. I was like, dude, everybody thinks football is going to be okay. We're iffy right now. We're already iffy nope. on baseball. We're, and even the NFL is going to get iffy real soon because they actually have some issues on the horizon that people don't even realize about. So, oh, I, here's, I just want to know. Are, so you are unequivocally laying the blame on, at the feet of the people who didn't take it seriously. Because yes. I, I mean, I, okay. Yes. So, so I just want to get this straight. So what you're saying is, is that had everybody rallied together and participated in common sense solutions to slow the spread of this, we would have sports. Yes, I am. So- 100% in that boat. So it's not some uniquely American thing that this virus is still crushing us while a bunch of other countries like Japan and South Korea and Germany and Denmark are all seemingly past it. What did they do different? I mean, that's the clear and obvious thing. Like you, you can't say, oh, well, look, they're uh, past it and you didn't do the exact same thing. If you don't do the exact same thing, you can't expect the exact same results. I mean, it's it's clear. Like when, when you have people who refuse to wear masks out of just courtesy. And you and you have people who just won't do you know, like when, when people say they don't know, like, so instead of just, just going along with it and say, all right, look, we don't know. Let's just, you know, let's just err on the side of caution. No, they're like, no, this impede, in, intrudes on my American rights. Yeah, but this is the same like smoking, bro. You can't smoke indoors. You can't smoke in a stadium because it affects other people's health or potentially can there, there, there's no difference. I don't get why this turned into some like muzzling and and whatever. But let's 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 move on to the the man, the leader of the Pac-12, uh, Larry Scott. Yeah, we let's have been talking about what's wait, going on move, with him for a move while. On, move on from Larry Scott or move on no, to Larry Scott? Yeah, w- let's move on to moving on from Larry Scott. <laughs> <laughs> So conference leadership is potentially putting the squeeze on Larry Scott. The the CEOs may be ready to buy, buy him out because of um Ralph p- tweeted out a wonderful uh a wonderfully embarrassing uh uh, uh infographic from Axios. And what all did it say it well it was talking about the amount of providers that are available to different um sports and where was the Pac-12 falling in at 
Well, <laughs> it doesn't look good. Um, so this Axios article wasn't it wasn't meant to be specific to the Pac-12. Um, it was just a list of the select sports and streaming options that you have, and w- and a list of how much everything costs. So, um, you know, not every single sports network out there is actually available on every single one of these streaming service options. The five biggest ones as far as streaming are Fubo TV. Do you have that one, George? <laughs> Hell no. Okay. Neither do I. Fubo, Fubo actually offers everything, everything oh, wow. you could possibly want. They are the really? only ones who do. Yeah. Because they have NFL network and NFL red zone and YouTube TV, Hulu sling and AT&T TV now do not have that. And so, and Fubo actually has PAC 12 network, uh, as well as everything else, MLB, NHL, NBA, Big Ten, ACC, SEC, FS1, FS2. sounds like they got something, something going. Yeah, Fubo might be the move, to be honest, because YouTube TV just went from $39.99 a month to $64.99 a month, making it the second most expensive behind Fubo, one penny behind Fubo. But they don't have NFL Network. They don't have NFL Red Zone. They don't have NHL Network. And guess what? YouTube TV does not have Pac-12 Network. And you'd figure if they're going to up their prices 30% out of nowhere, not that Google needs the money, but if YouTube TV is going to up their prices 30% out of nowhere, then maybe they could afford to get Pac-12 Network on YouTube TV. And maybe I would keep it because I just canceled my YouTube TV. And I think you said you were in the same boat, right? Yep. I canceled YouTube TV because they lost the Fox regional channels too. And so I'm, I had Hulu TV and YouTube TV and, and, Fox- and, 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 a, and a side of sling, but, but sling gown, they lost NFL network and, uh, uh, and, well, or NFL red zone at least. And the pack pack 12 gone. I had no reason to have you buddy and YouTube TV. It was my backup for Hulu. But now that you've increased your price, like you've priced me out. Like I used to be able to just be like, eh, nah, it's 30, 39 We used it some, it's cool. No problem. Now. Nope. Gotta go. And, um, and, and Hulu does not have NBA TV, MLB network, NHL network, or NFL Red Zone or NFL Network, and again, no Pac-12 Network either. And they're at $54.99 a month. Sling has upped their prices yet again. They're now at $45 a month. They do have Pac-12 Network, but guess what, George? It's not included in the base price. <laughs> so we get an upcharge for it? How much? How much is the upcharge for it? Um, From what I remember... The sports add-on package is between ten and fifteen dollars. So oh, so you ten, so 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 it's like a bundle, though. Yeah, and then um, and also in order to record those things, because that's how I watched all the Pac-12 games last year. Is I had Sling TV plus the sports add-on plus the DVR add-on, so that I could go back and rewatch all the games before we record it. So I was spending sixty bucks a month, I believe, for my Sling subscription by the time I ended up taking everything off because there's no sports right now. Um, but yeah, so sling is continuing to get more and more expensive and then AT&T TV now, which I did not even know was an option. Uh, I, I'm a T-Mobile guy. 
Um, but AT&T TV now has everything but NFL Network, NFL Red Zone, FS2, and Pac-12 Network. Uh, the only things you get at uh, with AT&T TV now, which is $55 a month as a base price, is FS1 and ESPN. That's it. Everything else that uh, for them is an add-on. So we're, we are basically at the point where streaming was supposed to be a better option than cable, but it's now all pretty much the same price as cable. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only thing better about it is that you have the convenience of being able to, you know, of being able to take it with you where, wherever you go, like it's easier. I found it at least easier to be able to like take it with me when I travel, I just pack a, I can either watch it on my phone, pack my Apple TV or whatever. And I always have access to all these things and I can even, uh, share to the, I can even share from my phone to the Apple TV, to the, to the, uh, yeah. So it, it makes a very convenient thing streaming does. And some of the cable providers haven't quite gotten it that streamlined yet. So, I mean, but just, just this, infographic alone and it was a, it was part of an article that said an overview of the sports streaming landscape and there's not really a lot of extra information in that uh, back on July 5th on axios.com but just the infographic alone of the Pac-12 network being the least available of all of the college sports networks in fact the only place that any other college sports network is not accessible and th- this is incredibly frustrating. So the Pac-12 is not available on three of the five major sports streaming options. All of the other conference networks combined only have one unavailability, and that's that there's no Big Ten network on Sling. Everything else is available everywhere else. Yeah. How embarrassing is that? So the Pac-12 is not available on three streaming services, and then the Big Ten, ACC, and SEC combined only have one unavailability, and that's Sling for the Big Ten network. What What have I always said that the Pac-12's problem is? They suffer from um, the most that they don't have the most important ability in life, which is availability. You can't. Yep raise your brand if you're not available for people to 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 see we've seen how popular you know like how influential that just being famous and being available is look at look at the kardashians they've built brands on being able to stay relevant they can't sing they can't dance they can entertain you because they found a way to stay relevant with their shows, with their social media, just staying relevant. Like they don't have any just natural talent. I mean, there's a lot of people that are like that. I mean, it's not like being a comedian. It's not like being a writer, you know, like something that it takes so long to dedicate this craft. And yes, being popular and being relevant is a skill. It is a skill like that. I don't want to take away or trying to like besmirch them at all. But it's not like some God-given talent that, that, you know, that some people cannot have. You know what I mean? I, I feel like the pool of people who could be Kim Kardashian, of pretty girls who could be Kim Kardashian with the right molding and the right backing behind them is, is longer than the people who could be Beyonce. 
Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> All right. Um, next thing up, we got... Oh, <laughs> we have... Oh, wait, actually, hold up. We didn't, we didn't even finish. So Larry, Larry Scott, do you think he's going to get bought out or not? I don't think that there is any advantage whatsoever to the Pac-12 having Larry Scott in any position of influence within its ranks whatsoever. That being said, what has changed? Nothing has changed. It's still the same people that have allowed Larry Scott to dig the Pac-12 into this hole in the first place. Um, All I have ever seen Larry Scott do is survive. He's getting away with paying 8 million in rent and not paying the loan back that he got for his house. uh, You know, several years down the line in the middle of a massive global financial COVID-19 related crisis. Uh, The PAC 12 is still out there paying 8 million in rent or whatever. So, um, the fact that all of these things are plainly within view for anybody of influence of any kind uh, and, and the fact that the tables haven't turned yet, I just, I don't see what would make them do it. You know, I, I, I don't see that uh, as much as, you know, these stories keep getting put out here and there, you know, I, I haven't seen anyone go public uh, in a position of leadership to say we need a change. And until I see that, I'm, I'm completely convinced that he's going to be the PAC 12 commissioner for eternity. <laughs> Dude, don't lose faith, man. Don't lose faith because I mean, like it's got to stop somewhere, right? Yeah. I mean, will they keep him on after they cancel sports completely? Will they just keep keep paying him uh, in retainer? There's no more sports because nobody will get with these, uh, you know, guidelines on how we can slow the spread. So sports are gone forever, but somehow we'll still have Larry Scott. That that's that's the way that I I'm looking at it. Is he's not going anywhere. Nothing's ever going to change because if it haven't if it hasn't changed by now, what was the tipping point? Everything is the same as it was last year and the year before that. And the year before that, the Pac-12's trajectory has been painfully obvious. It has been right out there for absolutely everyone to see. And I mean, when you have people who barely follow this conference, who um, laugh when they hear some of the things that this conference uh, has done. And, you know, every single time that reignites all of this huge fan base for the PAC 12 that has been saying, get rid of him this entire time. You know, I I don't know a single sensible person that isn't on the receiving end of the conference uh, money that gets handed out that thinks that he should be in that job. So what that should tell you is I know a couple of administrators of different colleges who aren't coming out and saying it because they get paid. Other than that, it's a unanimous, absolutely unanimous. And if it's unanimous and nothing's changed so far, I don't think anything's going to change. Ooh. See, like the pandemic has put him in a position. It's put him in a weird spot, right? Because he could say, all right, look, 
look, I understand we're in a pan pandemic. My contract is up next year. A couple years, we got the, uh, we have the uh, negotiations rights. I want to be a part of that. I'll lower my salary to 3 million. I will do everybody a solid because it's going to cost you more to buy me out. And you know, like we don't need to do this. Like we don't need to change leadership. It's going to cost more, more money. Let's do the economically sensible thing. I'll take a huge pay cut. But then after we renegotiate, my salary goes back up, right? That's what he's going to, going to do. So he'll make sure he's taken care of on the back end. Oh, for sure. For, for sure. So what did and, you see? And so he, I, he's giving back like what? 12% of his salary or something like that. Yeah. It probably should be 20 because the, the highest the conference is giving up people in the conference is 20%. Uh, the majority are at 12. Some schools are at 10 and five to put like Colorado's whose salaries aren't super high, but like, come on, bro. Like you're, you're, you're making, like you've been getting over for a pretty long time. Like, oh yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm going to be commensurate with everyone else. It's 12%. So I think that's fair. No, man, well, maybe, you make more than everybody that, else. Like it, maybe, top, that extra, top down. maybe that extra 8% can go to paying back his home loan. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that actually might be the sensible thing to do. So I will put that Axios graph that we talked about earlier in the show notes so you guys can check that out. But yeah, Larry, Larry Scott's a joke and he's put the conference in such a, a bad position, a bad, bad position. But with that said, some teams are still in a good position as it relates to recruiting. And Ralph found a tweet from Sports Pack 12 about recruiting. And if anybody follow, follows, follows, if anybody follows recruiting very closely, you would look at, you know, the top teams right now in the Pac 12 are you have uh, Oregon's ranked fifth. F- fifth or sixth, depending on which, which recruiting site or whatever in the team rankings, USC is right behind them. And then you have Washington creeping in. I think they're what, like 33 right now or something like that. So, and beyond there, the PAC 12 is kind of fledgling. Well, actually what Washington came up to 28 in 24 seven. And then it is a while uh, till you get to UCLA in the forties Cal around 50. I don't, it it takes, you have to get to number 50, Ralph, to get five Pac-12 teams. I think that's a problem, right? I mean, I get that it's only July and it's a pandemic. haven't had on-campus visits and all of that, but people are recruiting. So I think that this is a problem, right? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure yet. I need to see how things shake out. Um, you know, last year, I think they're actually, as far as the rankings, they're better now than they were at any point last year, I think. So, I mean, that's a little bit encouraging. But the the tweet that I found from Sports Pac-12 and found by, you know, scrolling with my, my thumb on my own feed, uh, which, P.S., I follow these guys. They should follow me back. They don't. 
Uh, but I'm not going to hold that against them because they're a good follow at Sports Pack 12. Um, and also, I'm not a good follow. So maybe they're smarter uh, than the other people who who do follow me. In fact, everybody should just mass unfollow my account. Everybody go and follow the Pac-12 Apostles Twitter instead of me. That would be a really good uh, idea because then you won't have to deal with all of my garbage. And then the relevant stuff, I'll just retweet from the from the Pac-12 Apostles Twitter. Let's see if we can get those follows up. But this uh, this Twitter account, Sports Pac-12, uh, says 2021 Pac-12 football commits in the Rivals Top 100. And I work uh, with Rivals. Um, and so this is something that I was... Uh, um, I was really unaware of that, that it was, you know, broken down this way. And I liked it. It, it listed uh, the 11 players from rivals uh, current iteration of the top 100 that are committed to pack 12 schools. First of all, I didn't know that there was a total of 11 and I think that's actually probably pretty good um, for where we're at right now in the recruiting cycle, even though there are a lot more players committed than usual, the top 100 players don't necessarily have that incentive on them to commit early because you know, the schools are going to take them regardless of how long they wait, they wait. Um, but only three teams in the pac 12 currently have a verbal commitment from a top 100 player, according to rivals. And the team that has the highest ranked player is university of Washington. Uh, the young Heward, uh, who is, uh, is committed to university of Washington is currently the top player in the rivals 100, who's committed to a PAC 12 school. And then everybody after that, the other 10 are split between university of Oregon and USC. Oregon has six, I believe, and USC has four. And, um, so yeah, I, I, first of all, I thought it was interesting that only three Pac-12 schools have a commitment from a top 100 player, but I was encouraged that there are 11 current commitments, and then I found it very interesting that most of them are to two schools, um, USC and University of Oregon, which if you're a fan of any other team in the Pac-12, that has got to make you feel sick to your stomach because they're looked to be a light at the end of the tunnel uh, in the last couple of years that it felt like you know people could wrestle the control of the south away from USC and the north away from from Oregon long term not just having one or two down years at a time um, but here we are in 2020 and Oregon's really only had one good year in the last three and it's arguable that USC hasn't really had a good year uh, according to their own program standards in quite a while. And they're the ones that are cleaning up and recruiting. Um, and that just goes to show you that sometimes it's, it's really about making sure that you have people who can just get out of the way and let the brand recognition do its thing. Yeah. And when you look at last year, you had Oregon state, Washington state and Arizona, were the only Pac-12 schools that did not sign at least one four-star recruit. Cal, Cal uh, had one. USC only had two, which was like, wow. Um, Colorado, three. UCLA, three. Arizona State, eight. Utah, four. Stanford, four, uh, eight. And um, Washington had 10 when you consider their one five star and Oregon had 10 when you consider their three five stars. And when you go to 2021 right now, the Pac 12, you have you only have at this point in time with commits with four star or better commits. Oregon has 11, USC has 11, Washington has two, 
UCLA has one. Cal has five, which is a testament to what Justin Wilcox is doing around that program. And Utah has one, and that's it. I think that that is kind of the more telling thing. I think that Stanford is going to come up quickly because you, we, we've seen a couple kids put out tweets like, yo, I got accepted to Stanford. Like you have to get accepted to Stanford before you can commit, which is crazy. So, um, yeah, so I, I don't know how to feel about this recruiting. I think that it it's great for conferences to be strong at the top with Oregon, USC, and Washington especially. Cal is coming on strong. I think it's important for Arizona State and UCLA, if nobody else shows up in recruiting, that those two teams and then, well, and then aside of Stanford as well, that those teams have to show up big time in recruiting. And you can't just have just a, you know, like you can't have a two teams with a top 10 class, Washington in the top 25, and then not have anybody until the late 30s or 40s. If you want to be competitive, like you need to have your f- best five or six teams in the top 30, period. And then a couple of them and then at least three of them in the top 15 if you really want to be competing for national championships. That's one of the reasons that I I really enjoy <laughs> working with you, George, is I don't have to like uh, – I don't have to explain to you and you don't have to explain to me that talent is destiny right that that getting good players is it it just increases your ability to not be the reason that your team loses right it's it's a lot harder to screw things up when you have an entire team full of uh, four and five star recruits, which is why guys like Willie Taggart didn't get to hang on to uh, the the reins out there at Florida State because with the amount of talent that they had out there, you run out of excuses. Most of the teams that are playing for a national championship year in and year out, you can trace three, four, and five years back. They're almost always in the top ten even more so often in the top five in the way that their recruiting uh, rankings shake out. And so if the PAC 12 wants to be competitive, obviously then they need to, they they need to be able to get better players. They need to be able to keep players home. Um, I don't think that this particular graphic about just the top 100 is necessarily as reflective because you really build your your roster out with those higher end three star uh, guys and then the occasional four star that you can get if you're most of these Pac-12 programs. Um, but just the idea that it's just really coming down to USC and Oregon again is the thing that stands out to me the most, especially because the immediate track record the immediate, immediate track record is okay. You know, whether it's the excitement of Keaton Slovis or what University of Oregon was able to do last year. But even the two-year window shows that like, hey, these aren't necessarily perennial contenders, right? And so for them to be back up on top in in recruiting, you really have to look at the, the staff that's in place and figure, you know, how, how are they doing it this way? Why are they doing it this way? Who's involved? And obviously USC made some of the right decisions with bringing in the people that they brought in. And obviously Oregon continues to do things uh, in, in a way that's incredibly effective. The teams that I think should be concerned 
by this are, you know, you had teams with momentum like Cal and Colorado. And the next step is to start landing some of these top 100 players. Right. Um, and, and Washington, while they do have the top player on this list, they do need to make sure that, that they're in there doing that as well. And then with Arizona state, you know, that they had a lot of momentum last year and they have not necessarily been able to have that translate over you. And I've talked about in previous shows, why that's potentially the case, but then there's some schools that really don't have an excuse for what's going on right now. And I, I put university of Arizona in that, uh, in that category. Um, and in UCLA as well, you know, but obviously they're taking chip Kelly's, uh, approach to recruiting to the nth degree of, you know, making sure that like kids have sleep studies and are, are measured by three different doctors before they can uh, garner an offer from, from the Bruins. So, you know, that makes it a little bit more complicated on their end, but we'll see if that works out long-term. But in, in, in the meantime, if you don't see your name um, amidst uh, this list of contending for top 100 players, then you're probably not going to contend for the conference. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. And, but there'll pe- be people who tell you, Ralph, it doesn't matter. Like th- you can develop three stars. Yes, you can. But they like these recruiting sites, whether it's rivals or, 24 seven, what, whatever recruiting service is your, is your pleasure. Um, there is a hit rate on five stars and very high four stars. Like you are more likely to get an NFL player out of a four and five star player. than you are out of three star players. That does not mean that your three star players that individually, they cannot be successful and go on to, I mean, and go on to high heights and do wonderful things. However, there is a, there is a, it, it's almost like when you start on, you know, third base athletically, you have a better chance of be, being a professional athlete. If you start off, if you walk into college, six, five, two fifty, running a four, five with a 40 inch vertical and, and can catch a BB in a sandstorm. Uh, the chances of you going to the NFL are probably pretty high. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, or or if you show up to college six one, a hundred and hundred and eighty pounds, and you're trying to play well, one hundred and sixty pounds, you're trying to play safety, and you you, you run a four eight. You know, it, it's different. It's yeah. just different. And I will say that I I feel like Utah was probably the best coach team in the conference last year, um, yeah. which, uh, by the way, did you see that, uh, our guy, uh, I guess our guy, can we say our guy he's in the, he's in the pac 12. So, um, Morgan Scally is going to hold on to his job out there, uh, in Salt Lake city. Um, they've, they've essentially announced that he's not going to be the, uh, coach in waiting anymore. Um, which I, I, I found to be interesting, um, but he's been reinstated. And so, uh, I, you know, I'm sure that you have something to say about that, but I will say, I feel like Utah was the best coach team in the conference last year. And they had a lot of senior talent. Some of those three stars that they had developed up over time. And look what happened when they played against USC and Oregon. 
That, yeah. that, I mean, that's that's ultimately what it comes down to is, can you imagine what Utah could do if they were recruiting at the same level as uh, as USC or Oregon? Because, you know, even when you have guys out there um, like Bradley and I and Lecky Fotu on your defense, when when you bring Panay Sewell in, it doesn't matter that he's a sophomore and you're in your fifth year. It doesn't matter the amount of development that went into it. Panay Sewell was one of, is quite possibly one of the best offensive linemen of my lifetime. Correct. To ever play in the Pac-12. Yeah. And I mean, I had doubts about him in high school because I've been out to St. George and I see the level of competition he was playing against. But obviously he'd come into these camp settings and show that he was completely dominant. And so, you know, he was deserving of the ranking that he had going into into University of Oregon. And then he's just continued to prove that, you know, you, you really see the difference that talent makes when you also get it into a situation where it's against people who uh, are, are essentially overachieving, right. According to um, their talent that, that when, what it comes down to is if you can harness that talent, people always say that uh, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, but guess what? Some talent works hard and there's no beating. (laughs) And so right about that. You know, if if Utah wants to continue the trajectory that they've been on, they want to take this conference over, they're going to have to recruit at the level that USC and Oregon are doing it right now. And with the coaching staff that they have in place, with Morgan Scally getting reinstated and with Kyle Whittingham's track record, then they might have the conference wrapped up for 10 straight years. But if they can't get players to Salt Lake, it doesn't matter. Yeah, the... Getting better talent decreases the greatness that you need to 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 coach to win. I mean, it's simple math. Like if you have five LeBron Jameses or five NBA All Stars versus you know the the uh, New York Knicks, who's probably going to win? I mean, like I could coach them. I could, hey hey hey, just go out there, just don't screw it up. Okay, okay, bye. You so know, you know what I mean. So on the Morgan Scally thing, uh, he had gotten a raise from five hundred twenty-five thousand a year to one point one million annually. Uh, they rescinded that raise. So essentially, this scandal um, and the scandal that we're referring to, if you if you've been living under a rock, is uh, Morgan Scally on I guess multiple occasions has used the N word in the presence of uh, of black players, and uh, th- that's no good. Um, but you and I had talked extensively on this podcast about what we think should happen. We never said he should be fired. Um, you know, we said the players should probably have a voice in it or whatever. Um, but it looks like, so he's, he's been reinstated and his salary is going from 1.1 million back down to $525,000 where it was. So it's costing him more than half of what his salary would have been heading into this year. And they said that they are, um, they had made a verbal offer to him to be Utah's coach in waiting to keep him around sort of like the Jimmy Lake situation in at university of uh, Washington. Um, and they have rescinded that as well. I'm not sure what that means. I'm sure maybe he'd still get the opportunity to interview or something. Um, you don't think so? Uh, no. Okay. No, well he's, then, he's yeah, this is a, he- unless, well, it, the, in five or 10 years, maybe, but, He's got to be toast for it. He's toast for a while, though. It, but there's a cost. I mean, there's quite a cost here. I mean, oh yeah, 
more than half of his salary, $575,000 gone out the window and the expectation that he was going to be able to step in and be head coach of this program um, is, is also gone, you know, which is, which is interesting that they would have that in place anyway with, you know, with, with the NFL holding on to the Rooney rule, but still struggling with its effectiveness and everything like that. The idea that, that Utah wouldn't, um, wouldn't interview, I was probably something that they needed to remove, uh, from the situation. So, you know, the, 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 if this becomes open or Kyle Whittingham ever goes, you know, I know there's BYU fans and USC fans who have all wondered about, you know, his future, um, in Salt Lake. And if he'd ever jump ship, you know, there that's going to need to be an open interview process. I'm sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's no just. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. He's our head coach. And wait, wait. Really? Are you sure about that? Are you sure that's what you want to do? Um. Yeah. I figured that that would be the result of it. Um. On to Ralph. Probably, I think your fav- new favorite segment, part of the Pac-12 Apostles, is is the ratings discussing our ratings <laughs> and <laughs> how this all started was, um, how, wait, how did it, how did the ratings discussion start? I feel like you were telling people to leave a five-star review and I just like meekly piped up in the background or four stars. And, uh, that upset you. And that led to people leaving us four star reviews um, but we did get some just honest reviews, you know, letting us know that the specific people thought that we were not doing a good job. Um, and that seems to have ceased uh, as as our um, our talking about Morgan Scally has has died down. So maybe uh, our one our one one star review has been removed uh, after being updated week to week. It has now been removed, um, which is, which is nice. So thank you for, um, for so was he shamed or was he like, hold up, they're not really jerks. Like I thought they were. So let me back off. So no, and you're, you're talking about our guy, gorilla bears and he's an avid listener. And so he just didn't like what, and I think he also went into it with the understanding that like we were saying that he should be Morgan Scally should be fired. And we never, went down that road, but we did, we definitely talked about it for a really long time. And, you know, that hadn't probably wasn't a comfortable uh, subject for any Utah fans who do listen to the show. So, you know, he, and then he updated his one star review to say something else the next week, which then we challenged him to just continue to update his one star review and that we would read it every week. And now his one star review is gone completely, but he still gets a shout out on the show. Gorilla bears. We love you. Um, but this week, uh, the, since our last show, it's been two weeks. Um, but I did find it interesting. We have three five-star reviews, no four-star reviews, George. No four-star reviews? No four-star reviews. Mm, that's what I like to see. Well, I yes, I also enjoy a good five-star review, but I would rather have the... Um, I'd rather have a lot more information to sort through. So I would rather have 10 four-star reviews. And then if every single one of those people leaving a four-star review actually left an honest critique that could help us get better, then it would be like we're receiving coaching. And then down the line, we never have to worry about getting any four-star reviews ever because we made the necessary adjustments and we'd be out there getting that Pat Mahomes money. So 
I want to see 10 four-star reviews. And if there's going to be some five stars in there, that's fine too. But I want to see 10 four-star reviews by the next time we get back together to do a show. And I got the ball rolling. I just left us a four-star review, George. What? (laughs) (laughs) You're going to make my head explode, Ralph. How? Why would you do that? Because you can still have room for improvement and get five stars. Because people can believe that this is a five-star podcast and still at the same time say oh it'd be nice to do this no give me the five stars and give me the criticism because okay. it means that you like it all right well i, I will say you give us a four star re- re- review dude you're like a uh a, a, um oh uh self self-deprecating way too self-deprecating no, nah, man, this is on you. I got my two and a half stars out of it. The, you get one and a half stars this week because uh, our listeners aren't going to know this because our podcast is heavily edited for flow. Uh, but you just forgot to mute your mic when your dad walked in. <laughs> so so you, you get the one and a half stars. I get two and a half and that adds up to four. And I will change <laughs> since we don't have, since we don't have gorilla bears around uh, anymore, since he deleted his one star review, I'm going to review our podcast and the effort that we put in every week. And I'll update. So I'll let you know if you earn your two and a half <laughs> next week. Oh man. Well, well, is it possible some weeks that you pull more weight than others and you're like, oh, George, I think I get three and a half today and you only get one and a half? Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm not competitive, right? So me not being a competitive person, I should just be honest about the effort that I put into each each show. So, I mean, if it, I'll have to be specific when I actually update my review each week, uh, whether or not I felt like I pulled my weight. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, last thing that we have <laughs> is so the Ivy League announced. So we talked briefly earlier about the Ivy League announcing um, about spring foot about no f- fall sports and possible exclusive spring sports, and they may or may not have football. The NCAA is on the no plan plan. And Ralph, do you think college football season kicks off? Because, well, actually, first, first question, do you think it kicks off? Second thing is, I had a dude in my tweets who said, the crazy part is that people like you in the media aren't discussing the impact of not having a season. And most of it, I believe, is driven by your people's political affiliations and it's sad to see your people <laughs> uh i don't know about that one man i'm not touching that <laughs> i mean haven't but but haven't we talked about the impact of it the financial impact the re, the impact on recruits the impact yeah. on their families and like, this is devastating and how upset emotionally that i am going to be about this if if it happens so I, I and so I tweeted at him back. I was like, "Hey, bro, I like I like this is pure lunacy here." And the second thing is, what do you assume my political affiliations are, and why do you think that they would have anything to do with this? Like, I I just despise that this has become a a political issue 
Absolutely. I believe it's a public health issue. Well, here, I got an email from a guy. Um, it, he signed it Santa Barbara Larry, and I think it's a good email. And, and my answer to your question is I don't. I don't. Uh, at, at this point today, um, I, I'm – I'm not confident there's going to be football, but he said, Hey Ralph, really enjoy the Pac-12 apostles with you and George have a bone to pick with you guys. One of you said the fatality rate for college football players uh, from COVID-19 will be 1% if they play this year. My best estimate right now is 0.032%. So your estimate is more than 30 times too high, but more importantly, you must ask yourselves, will college football players be safer by playing football or not playing? I think the evidence is clear. A college football player in a major conference will be far safer from COVID-19 playing football. Think about it. If they play, their daily activities will be highly regulated. They'll have significantly more testing and more immediate support services than if they do not play. So keep our Pac-12 players healthy by playing some football. Regards, Santa Barbara Larry. So uh, me right now, where I'm at, I do not think that the season is going to kick off on time, if at all. I'm not very optimistic uh, at, at this point in time. But when I, when I just am looking at this individual email from our guy, Santa Barbara, Larry, thank you for listening to the show, by the way, Larry. Um, I don't feel differently. I don't feel differently. I, I knew that I, w- when we were discussing um, the, the potential, uh, you know, whether or not somebody could die from COVID. And we talked about it earlier in this show that for me, we, you know, one is too many if it's preventable. Um, but I, I understand that we got some feedback on what our what our percentages were. Uh, but you have to understand where our hearts at, and 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 we, we're just trying to be cautious and make sure that lives aren't unnecessarily interrupted or devastated um, due to this virus. We care about these kids. Um, but the idea that they would be safer playing football than they are not playing football, I, I'm not sure I disagree with that. I think I think that that's probably right on. But that's just not the only thing that's factored into making this decision. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, they'll be tested and all that stuff all the time. But like we have seen a couple of college administrators come out and say, they're like, well, we have put all these protocols in place and then we go out and see them out eating at a restaurant out in the city. So it puts everybody in a precarious position. And I know that everybody is tired of dealing with this. And that's where I am, dude. It, it, it's just so deflating because my son is going into high school. We were faced with a choice this year because he's a high level athlete. And as you know, Ralph, there are a number of people who choose to go the route of holding their kids back. And when, if anybody doesn't know that this is a huge trend in sports, that they will either hold their kids back in sixth grade, eighth grade, or both. Or sometimes they'll double hold back eighth grade. So they'll they'll complete their eighth grade year. Then they'll basically have a gap year where they're still taking ninth grade classes or repeating their eighth grade classes or a combination of both and then go to high school the next year. That's why you get like, you know, JT Daniels, where they're like, oh, he should have still been in college. No, I mean, in high school. No, he shouldn't have. He was a holdback. So he was supposed to graduate. He just reclassified. You know, you have other kids, you know, night Jimmy Clawson was damn near 20 years old in high school. Yeah. All my, I mean, all my kids are one year young for their grade, and it was the right move for some of them. And, uh, and I got one that's probably gonna take another go. 
um, because they were all, they all age up prior to the, um, or after the school year ends. And so, you know, I got, I got two July kids an August kid and a December kid, and they're all, every single one of them is, is on an early track. And so, you know, I think you, you do everything individually according to a kid's needs, but more and more, even locally here in Arizona, some of the high schools uh, that I cover, you know, that you've got parents that are being a, very open about the fact that they are uh, giving their kids multiple opportunities at eighth grade so that they can increase their viability as a collegiate athlete. I know of one long snapper and one linebacker who actually went to a Pac-12 school and has since graduated um, who were both eighth grade holdbacks, and it actually worked for them. They got college scholarships out of it that they might not have otherwise. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely happening. Well, that's the crazy, like, I kind of frown upon it because for most of the kids, especially the ones who are physically gifted and, you know, big, tall, fast, strong already, I'm like, uh, what did you do it for? Like, that way you can't compete against younger people? You're supposed to be better, right? Yeah, I think, and well, I think the whole idea of like varsity football that, I mean, and the same with college, if you're ready to play as a freshman, then you play. Right. Um, but when you're talking about tens of thousands of dollars and not being a, a, a wage slave to crushing collegiate related debt uh, over the course of your life, uh, having to do eighth grade twice isn't that much of a penalty for some of these parents to make their kids pay. Um, you know, my kids aren't necessarily involved in athletics to um no organized athletics up to this point. You know, I have my, my two oldest kids, I got two Irish twins. They're both 11 years old uh, right now have, uh, are don't, haven't really shown a ton of interest in, in doing those things. And so, um, you know, would I make a decision like that based on athletics for them? No, because it hasn't even really been part of their, their life. Um, but you know, when you have a kid who's playing, and you go to the doctor and the doctor says like, Hey, this is their expected height and weight. Um, by the time they're 18, it could change by the time they're 19. Uh, and you've got a hundred thousand dollars in tuition room and board on the line. What do you do? And so I'm, I'm not well, saying that I would do that. I'm just saying I haven't been in those shoes and I understand, I think why it's done. Yeah. I understand why it's done, but for, for me, <clears throat> I made the decision to not do it. Because I right. just felt like he's six one, a buck fifty now. He's got rocket arm. He's fast. He's like he's a phenomenal athlete. And granted, holding him back would put him at a tremendous advantage going forward. I mean, like coming in as a freshman, he would have an opportunity to start and potentially in multiple sports. And I was just like, do I want to give him the easy route? Or do I want him to, you know, like figure out where he fits? I mean, because I looked at it like, because a lot of these parents, like I know one parent there, her son is like six, six right now. He's six, six. He's going into the ninth grade, but she's holding him back. He's like six, six, two fifty or something like that. Good Lord. Like I'm like, and his brother plays college uh, football at a power five university Big time school, a big time school, multiple national championships there, everything like that type of football school. And 
he's getting held back. I asked his mom, I was like, why? She was like, I don't think he's mature enough. I was like, how mature do you expect him to be at 14? Like, how mature? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just curious. Like, what is the purpose of it? She was like, I want him to get stronger. He's going to get stronger if he, he's 6'5", 250 right now. Like, what what more do you want from the kid? Yeah, I don't see. And then if I if I saw my kid was in eighth grade and he had to go line up against somebody who was uh, 6'6", 250 pounds, supposed to be ninth grader, I might have them fake an ankle injury or something so that they're not nursing a real one. Um, you know, it, it, that's, it definitely affects. And that's the thing we've been talking about coronavirus. Your decision that you make for your family does have an effect on the other decisions that other people make for, for their family. And so, you know, um, when we have people who are just sort of doing what's best for, for themselves, there is going to be a consequence that comes out of that. Uh, in some way, shape, or form, and 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 if everybody is willing to just deal with whatever those consequences are, in order to have the freedoms that we have, uh, cool. But if we lose those freedoms because of those consequences, then you know I, I think someone somewhere needs to take some action and exercise some authority to get everybody back on the same page again. You know whether that's somebody who's six six, two hundred and fifty pounds, being able to play with uh, people who are ninety five pounds, <laughs> or or you know whether that's you know what we're going to do as far as um, keeping our kids safe and 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 having fall sports and protecting them and their families from disease. You always have to consider, you know, yourself and what you're doing, but you have to look at, uh, you have to look at the uh, trees for the forest and the forest for the trees. You have to see the whole picture. Yeah. I just think that it is very important. Well, so, so for me, the, the decision to not hold them back, I was just like, like, but it made me think because I didn't, you, you know, we all, like you said, we want to do the best for our kids. We want to be. We want to do all of that. And I'm just sitting there just like, okay, he may have to miss this whole entire season. You hear me? Yeah. Like, so am I then putting him at a disadvantage? And then I looked at people like Steph Curry and people like, you know, I mean, even Aaron Rodgers or um, Damian Lillard, who went to Weber State. Steph went to um, Davidson. Aaron Rodgers went to a JUCO. Like sometimes you get where you need to be, you know. And 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 I think that some sometimes we try to knock down obstacles for our kids when in reality sometimes where they needed to be at that point in time was the best place for them. Because had Steph Curry been a bigger recruit and went to Duke, things may not have worked the same. He may not have had a chance, might not have been able to shoot the ball as many times as recklessly as he had to to develop the confidence to be who he is. At same thing with uh, Lillard at Weber State. Same thing with Aaron Rodgers going to uh, uh, a JUCO that lighting that Butte? fire up on him. JUCO, yeah. yeah. So. I, like a lot of times we, we, we look for like, like we want that five-star review. If you, if, if you will, we want that five-star <laughs> college, you know what I mean? But, but sometimes I, am I going against my own uh, agenda right now? <laughs> but, but sometimes we need that three-star lifestyle to motivate us to something else. That's why I look at it. That's why I decided not to do it. Well, I'm sure that people, other people will have plenty to say. (laughs) 
about the decisions that you have made for your personal life because that's how we function as a society yeah. Um, well, thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Thank you for sharing the podcast. And of course, leave a five-star rating if you agree with me. If you agree with Ralph and are wrong, leave something else. Uh, send, us an e- <laughs> send us an email to I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. Hit him up to, on Twitter at Ralph Amsden. Me at George Reister, the podcast at Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate all your input, or you can send us a voicemail on the Anchor app. Yeah, peace out. See you guys next show.